Welcome, everyone. I am here with Cassie, and this week we are going to continue to talk about the New Testament curriculum of Come, Follow Me, and we're going to be covering Matthew chapter 3, Mark chapter 1, and Luke chapter Luke chapter 3. Um, Cassie, if I can kick us off here, I, th- I think it'd be great um, to have a little bit of context about, about what different people are involved in these chapters. And since we haven't covered Mark yet, um, to know a little bit about Mark. Um, of the gospel authors, we, we know the least about Mark. We know he was a missionary companion of, of Paul and Peter and other missionaries. Um, and a lot of scholars believe that that Peter directed Mark to record the events of the Savior's life. And, and that's why there's a lot of similarities between Mark's gospel and the other gospels. Um, one of the main stories that I really kind of picked up on here uh, that, that we see across the I have I, at least two of these three accounts of, of Christ's baptism is the role that the Pharisees and the Sadducees play um, when they when they come and see they see John baptizing people and and the Pharisees we know them as members of, of the Jewish religious party uh, religious party and they prided themselves on on strict observance of the law of, of Moses and its rituals they were very like type A. Um, kind of people, whereas the Sadducees were just a wealthy kind of Jewish class that had a lot of influence in the area. Um, a big difference there being they didn't really believe in the doctrine of the resurrection. Um, but both both had strayed from from the the real meaning behind the law of Moses, and and we see that when when John the Baptist calls them out, um, and they're kind of just lurking as John is baptizing people, and John calls them out and says, "O generation of vipers, who hath warned you to flee from the wrath to come?" Bring forth, therefore, fruits meet for repentance, and think not to say within yourselves, We have Abraham to our father. For I say unto you that God is able of these stones to raise up children unto Abraham. And this just called out to me right away because I love the idea that that it's titles and prestige and all the, these things on the out, outside that you know we notice and uh, we take into account when we look at people, that, that doesn't matter to God. Um, and what matters to God is is what's in our heart, as he tells David in the Old Testament, but but also that we're going through and we're experiencing a change of heart. And, and that's that's such a nice backdrop for uh, the ordinance that John is, is performing um, in these chapters. I think that's awesome, Will. Um, so my, I guess, study this week kind of focused because these folk, these chapters largely focus on the baptism of Jesus. So I started thinking about that and I started thinking of um, I guess the essential truth, but also narrative that Jesus was baptized, right, to set an example, to fulfill this ordinance, even though he was already perfect, he was sinless, he didn't need to be baptized. And I was thinking about that, and while, um, now this isn't going to be totally doctrinal, but I think that we are misunderstanding the definition of perfect. And I think that misunderstanding, at least for me, um, led me to believe something that I think is what I have now decided is fundamentally untrue. So I think when we think of perfect, generally, at least I think, I read this book in, I think, fifth grade, you probably read it too, about that kid who decides he's going to be perfect for a whole day. And he reads this manual on it. And in reading the manual, basically, in order to truly be perfect, all of the time, he basically just sits in a chair and does absolutely nothing because that's the only way to guarantee perfection. And I think that is the wrong definition of what is perfection. I think the human condition 
means that as humans, we make mistakes and we learn from those mistakes. And I think that is part of God's plan. And I think we have to remember that Jesus, while he was sinless, he was also human. And so he was subject to the human condition. Um, And so I think he probably did make mistakes. He probably had awkward encounters with people. He, you know, he too had to learn. Um, And so thinking about that, I started thinking about how I used to think that in order to be um, probably like successful, um, you couldn't make mistakes, that you had to be this like perfect version of yourself. And that like becoming Christ-like was being this like very perfect person with no flaws, right? Um, and then um, a couple years ago, I was like kind of struggling with like what I like just, I don't know, a lot of things. And I didn't really feel like I was where I wanted to be. And one day I like broke down about this to my mom and she said to me, I love you the most when you fail. And I think God feels the same way about all of us. I think God loves us all the most when we fail because it's when we fail that we learn something about ourselves. And those are the times that we have the opportunity to learn from our mistakes and to become perfected in Christ, to become like eventually sinless. It is that progression that allows us to return to live with him. It's not the progression of someone who is like always perfect all of the time and never steps a foot wrong. And so thinking about this whole baptism chapter, I think a better way to reframe the narrative would be to say he was sinless and he was baptized to set an example for all of us. He was still subject to the human condition like we all are too. And so I think our objective, rather than to be perfect, should be our objective should be to be sinless as well, or to strive to be sinless. Yeah, it's a great point, Cassie. I I think I've had a similar kind of realization over the last couple of years that that sin really is vital to God's plan, um, and a lot of it, I mean, is is part of the reason that we came to Earth is to make mistakes, is to be able to learn from those mistakes. Obviously, the point is not to not to dwell in those mistakes um but to grow from them but but we can't move forward and we can't um, become better without you know setbacks um and if you think about you know not that i really find myself at the gym that often and and (laughs) i i don't i'll have to ask you after how your new year's resolution of going to the gym however many times a week is going um but you know just the principle of of gaining muscle is you have to to break up and tear down your muscles for them to grow back stronger and, and bigger. Um, and it's a, I think it's the same with with these things that you've been talking about. Um, what I love about continuing with this, this Christ baptism story is it's recorded um, in a few of the different versions here is that after Christ is baptized, it says the heavens were opened unto him. He saw the spirit of God descending like a dove and lighting upon him and lo, a voice from heaven saying, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. And I think that's a great declaration of, of, you know, pride and, and approval and, and validation coming from, from heavenly father to his son, Jesus Christ. And, you know, I don't think we always hear that or often maybe hear that, you know, audible voice from heaven that encourages us and says, you know, I'm proud of you. 
you, you know, you're doing a great job. Um, but I, I think if, if we look around and if we listen for it, I, I, th- I think it's there. And I think as you pointed out, Cassie, you know, God wasn't, God wasn't proud of, of his son of Christ. Um, he wasn't well pleased because Christ was, was perfect. Um, he was re- well pleased with Christ because of the steps that Christ was making um, forward on the path. And I think we make those, when we make those same steps, even if, if there is a, a step down or, you know, even if we do stumble, you know, if we, if we're moving forward and if we're moving in that right direction, you know, God is pleased with us and we, we don't have to be perfect for God to be, to be proud of us. Yeah, I think that's great. A couple months ago, a friend of mine asked me how I knew when God was satisfied with my efforts. Um, I think I talked about this before, uh, but I kind of told her that I didn't really think about that. That's never really something that occurred to me. I just assumed that God was always pleased with my efforts, which now thinking back is is kind of naive. Um, But since she asked me that question, I've really been thinking about that. Um, And I think you're right that there aren't that many instances in the scriptures when um, we hear God speak to or about um, his son. Um, The only other one that immediately comes to mind is Joseph Smith when he says, this is my beloved son, hear him. Um, And so I think you're right that we have to look for and be aware of and be attuned to the moments when God is affirming his um, his love and his... um, like pride in us. And we have to look for those um, moments because it's not going to, I don't think tomorrow I'm going to get a dove coming down from the sky and God's going to. Don't, don't rule it out. <laughs> Maybe. Uh, we'll I'll well, I, I, and that's a great point about effort. I, I, one of my favorite parts of the last conference um, was when president Nelson said, the Lord loves effort. And I think when we are trying our best, when we're putting forth effort and we're trying to do what's right, I think we can be reasonably assured that, I think we can be fully assured, honestly, that, that, that our Heavenly Father, that Jesus Christ, that they're proud of us um, and that they're going to support us in, in those things that we're putting our effort towards. Um, Cassie, any last thoughts for us before we close out here? Um, the only thing I wanted to say, and this is kind of a side note, is that I, a couple of months ago, I attended my cousin Liesl's baptism and it was the first baptism that I had been to. And I think this is because I grew up in New York and so there weren't that many baptisms, but it was the first baptism that I'd been to that more than one person was baptized. Um, and I thought it was kind of interesting and selfishly, I was kind of like, you know, I think I'd want my own, my own day. Um, but in the scriptures, you know, the day that Christ is baptized, he lines up and he gets in line with all of these other people who are coming to be baptized. Um, and I think there's something really beautiful about this collective. Um, it's Baptism is an individual ordinance, but it's also this thing that these people collectively do together. Um, and I think that's really neat. Um, mm-hmm. And so I've changed my opinion on group baptisms. <laughs> wow. I, uh, it is, it is a neat thing that we come together and it's nice that all these people were coming together in the scriptures and able to witness, you know, Christ's baptism. And that's what led to him having a lot of followers and, and disciples, um, who were able to continue to, to testify of what they saw and heard. And they saw that Christ was the lamb of God as, as manifested and as, um, as testified by his father from heaven and also by John the Baptist. Um, thanks for joining me, Cassie. This was a great, uh, great little session here and, you know, I, uh, it's nice to be reminded of the importance of baptism and, 
and uh, the change of heart that comes through the ordinances and covenants that we make in, you know, in things like baptism. I agree. Thanks, Will. All right. Talk to you later. Thanks, everyone, for joining us.